This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au Before Dan comes up and shares with us, I'm going to read a scripture from 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 23. Okay, so God's holy box is moved to Jerusalem. David again gathered all the best soldiers in Israel. There were 30,000 men. Then David and all his men went to Bala in Judah to take God's holy box there. The holy box is like God's throne. People go there to call on the name of the Lord All-Powerful, who sits as king above the cherub angels that are on the box. David's men brought the holy box out of Abinadab's house on the hill. Then they put God's holy box on a new wagon. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were driving the new wagon. So they carried the holy box out of Abinadab's house on the hill. The sons of Abinadab, Uzzah and Ahio drove the new wagon. Ahio was walking in front of the holy box. David and all the Israelites were dancing in front of the Lord and playing all kinds of musical instruments. There were lyres, harps, drums, rattles, instruments made from cypress wood and cymbals. When David's men came to the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and God's holy box began to fall off the wagon. Uzzah caught the holy box, but the Lord was angry with Uzzah and killed him for that mistake. Uzzah showed he did not honour God when he touched the holy box, so he died there by God's holy box. David was upset because the Lord had killed Uzzah. David called that place Perez Uzzah. It is still called Perez Uzzah today. David became afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can I bring God's holy box here now? So David would not move the Lord's holy box into the city of David. He put the holy box at the house of Obed-Eben from Gath. The Lord's holy box stayed in Obed-Edom's house for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his family. Later, people told David, the Lord has blessed the family of Obed-Edom and everything he owns because God's holy box is there. So David went and brought God's holy box from Obed-Edom's house. David was very happy and excited. When the men who carried the Lord's holy box had walked six steps, they stopped and David sacrificed a bull and a fat calf. David was dancing in front of the Lord. He was wearing a linen ephod. David and all the Israelites were excited. They shouted and blew the trumpet as they brought the Lord's holy box into the city. Saul's daughter, Macau, was looking out the window. While the Lord's holy box was being carried into the city, David was jumping and dancing before the Lord. Macau saw this and she was upset at David. David put up a tent for the holy box. The Israelites put the Lord's holy box in its place under the tent. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord All-Powerful. He also gave a a share of bread, a raisin cake, and some date bread to every man and woman of Israel. Then all the people went home. David went back to bless his house, 
But Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. She said, The king of Israel did not honour himself today. You took off your clothes in front of your servant girls. You were like a fool who takes off his clothes without shame. Then David said to Michal, The Lord chose me, not your father or anyone from his family. The Lord chose me to be leader of his people, the Israelites. So I will continue dancing and celebrating in front of the Lord. I might do things that are even more embarrassing. Maybe you will not respect me, but the girls you are talking about are proud of me. Saul's daughter, Macau, never had a child. She died without having any children. Thank you, Alice. What a strange story. But it's a beautiful story. And we're going to spend a bit of time unpacking that story uh, in the context of what I feel like God is saying to us about King David, about a holy box, about dancing before God, uh, maybe in the sunshine. Okay, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have a message for us today. And I pray that we will listen to your word uh, and that you will fill us with joy and with celebration and with hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so look, interestingly, I've, I've finished a series on discipleship, which took a bit of time, and I've been preparing for a number of other series for uh, probably six to, to nine months with all the different changes that have been happening. And, and so uh, one of the series that I've been really thinking about doing, and I was hoping to be launched well and truly into it by now when we thought about it at the start of the year, was uh, a series called Longing for Love, which will be about engaging in the cultural narratives of love and marriage and singleness and gender and, and sexuality. You know, no easy topic, but a really important one to, to talk about. So I'm really hoping and praying we can hit that next year. Uh, and the other topic that's really on my heart is on earthkeeping, which is about a series about the climate change crisis, about uh, eco-theology and what our response might be as, as followers and apprentices of Jesus to you know, what I believe is the existential crisis of our age. So quite another big topic. Uh, so I've been reading heaps on these and thinking about how to engage, but, but every time I ask God about, you know, is, is this the timing this year? I'm like, nope, not yet. I keep hear, hearing silence, so maybe they're for next year. But I, I came across a text message or a WhatsApp message from Alice, thank you so much, and, uh, and I've reflected on that message. I received it, I think, in September, and, and as I finished off the series, I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm going to speak on at least once, maybe twice, before we finish this year off. Uh, before we launch into some more meaty, significant, well, not significant, uh, more challenging, potentially challenging topics next year. Alice sent us, uh, sent me and the leadership team a dream. And that dream really spoke to me. And, and I want to read that dream out. And the reason I want to share it is, you know, in Together Church, we take the authority of Scripture very seriously, which means we believe that God speaks to us in a whole lot of different ways. Uh, and in ways that we see God speaking through the Word of God, and one of them is through our dreams. And so I have permission to share this, by the way. So Alice wrote, Hey Dan, I had, a cup, I had a dream a couple of nights ago, and I'm passing it on to you, feeling like it might have meaning or significance for Together Church. She didn't think I'd preach on it, but anyway. Um, I offered it up to God and asked for him to give back to me, uh, give it back to me if important. It came up in my mind again this morning, so I'm sharing it with you now. In my dream, Chris and myself and other members of Together Church were in a cheap shop like shiploads uh, and were rushing around trying to load up with supplies like chocolate, glow sticks and blankets. There was a sense of urgency and anticipation, you know, exchanges like, I'll see you there. 
I wasn't sure where we were going, but looking at the fun of things we were t- the fun things we were taking, uh, I was intrigued and thought it might be fun. When Chris and I arrived, it was evening. There was a big stretch of grass with bushland on the other side. Together, church people were gathered around what looked like a bonfire, but it was slowly dying out. Chris and I joined the group and set in to enjoy the fire with our supplies, adding to everyone else's. As the night went on, the fire grew smaller and people started to get cold and feel tired and miserable. The fire had glowing embers and coals and I was wondering, why is no one adding fire to a wood to this fire? But the decision was to keep huddling closer to each other and, and draw nearer to the embers. Our friends who don't follow Jesus were sitting further away from the fire, sitting uh, shivering and cold, but, but no one was looking to add more wood. The dream continued with this congregation around a dying fire with the urgency to keep huddling together, staying close to the embers and us not feeling very warm. Now, thank you so much, uh, Alice, for being willing to share your dream. And uh, we really value people's ability to share dreams and to, to think, what might God be saying? And the thing about dreams is they're hard to interpret, aren't they? Uh, even if they're from God, they're hard to interpret. And they're not literal, they're a bit like parables, you know, they're, they're curious, they're unknown, and they draw us in so that we ask questions about them. And, and in the questioning of dreams, we draw closer to God, which I think is one of the reasons he uses such strange and obscure ways to speak to us. But um, when I heard or read that dream, it stuck with me, and I've been processing it and praying about it for weeks now. And I'm not 100% sure what it means, but I've felt that, yes, it does have significance for us. And there's something prophetic about the vision of cooling embers and us kind of closing in together. Uh, I think there's something prophetic about us huddling together rather than adding wood to the flame. So, you know, the question I've been asking is, you know, why uh, in the dream were we using each other's body warmth for heat? Uh, And why were we content with cooling embers when we could have just put more wood on the fire. Does that make sense? It's the question that's been in my mind. And, and I'm not here to get down on us. This is not a, you know, we're doing badly in together church talk. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I know we love Jesus and we serve generously, we abide, we trust in him. Uh, I know that we are serving with our whole hearts and that we are participating in the mission of God. So this isn't a, you know, we're a lukewarm community talk. Uh, I'm really proud of us in Together Church and in what I see. Uh, But uh, in terms of the dream, I do think it indicates to me and and it kind of brews in my spirit that there is something that is maybe lacking in our community at the moment. It's been a hard year, but I think we're tired maybe more than just through COVID and there is a sense where we're serving but in a tired way and some of us uh, maybe are lacking the joy and celebration of how we serve. Uh, and, and while it's tough, I don't know, I just have a sense that there's a loss of expectation or celebration in what we're doing and how we're serving. That, that's the sense I have. Uh, and it might not be for everyone, but, but I think it's worth still sharing. So I've been asking the question, uh, what is the fire? What is the fire? I've been asking, you know, is it worship? Is it prayer? You know, is it our passion for Jesus. And, and I think it's a bit linked to all of these things, but it's not necessarily any of these things. Uh, and the conclusion that I've come up with is that the fire that needs stoking in the dream is the presence of God. 
It's his spirit. It's, it's his power and presence and anointing in a fresh, new way that might fill us and energize us afresh, uh, not because we're not loving him, but because he has more in store for us. Okay? So I suppose I have a real hunger, and, and the words joy and celebration keep popping up, that it would be amazing to regain that sense of joy and celebration that we have had in the past, and, and maybe we just, it's just died a bit. But, but the, the way to get there probably won't be through more you know, of each other. It, it will be through putting wood on the fire and, and, and waiting for and seeking uh, more of the power and the presence of God in our lives so that the joy that comes and the lightness he brings comes from him and not from ourselves. That's the sense I have. And that's what I want to talk about. Uh, so we can't get warm with each other. We need God's spirit. And rather than looking for more wood, uh, why are we humbly, huddling together around embers? Uh, God can provide a lot more. And I'm not saying let's manufacture something. I'm not saying let's be emotional in our own kind of you know, in our own strength, I'm saying that uh, we can expect more of God. We can hunger for more of His Spirit. And I believe that we can pray and expect the fire of God in a much greater way than we have right now. And I'm excited about that. Uh, so, look, the Holy Spirit, as we know, fell on the people of God, on the disciples in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2. And, and the Scriptures say that, that the Holy Spirit was like fire, like tongues of fire that rested on every single believer, every single apprentice of Jesus who followed him. And uh, the believers received tongues and dreams and prophetic words. And, and there, were, there were miraculous wonders and healing and, and a whole lot of stuff happened. And that kind of launched the church uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we read in the book of Acts. And, and so uh, something I've heard before is that the Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, okay, so this is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who comes in tongues of fire, he doesn't give his Spirit in half measure. Okay, so God doesn't give the Holy Spirit in half measure, and, and the, 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 he gives it to us in his fullness. And the Spirit of God who rose Jesus from the dead is inside of each of us, which is really quite an amazing idea that God's Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is in full in us if we are, if we are able to, to recognize him and, and to walk in his ways. And the things that Jesus did are actually possible in this day and age. So I suppose I believe that God wants to remind us and bless us with an experience of the power and the presence of God uh, to raise our expectations of what he can do and to return a sense of joy and celebration, to stoke that fire up uh, not in our way, but in his way. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about today. So thank you for your dream, Alice. All right, so, so when uh, Alice, Alice read Second Samuel, okay, and, and when I think of the presence of God, uh, I often think about David dancing half naked around the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Um, but, but it's kind of true. You know, it's, it's, it's this image of, of a king who is so enamored by the love of God, so full of his presence and his spirit that he just throws away kind of... He goes into reckless abandonment and just dances before the Lord. And, and that's, that's what this story is about. Uh, it's an ancient story. It is an unusual story. It is a very old story. But it's a story about a king who loves God, and, and that's why I think it relates. So in terms of, like, I looked up, I wrote in Google... 
King David dancing before the Lord. And there's so many amazing pictures from history. Uh, this story has captured the imagination of many, many people. So this is, this is uh, a picture of Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart, who was dancing before God with a reckless abandon. It's a, a relief from the 1600s in Rome. Uh, there are paintings, lots of paintings about David and the ark, about uh, the people of God celebrating with lyres and tambourines and, and other instruments, uh, I suppose, um, describing the grandeur of this event. Uh, there are new paintings, which are a little bit more unusual, uh, but I like how they, you know, this painting shows the frivolity and the joy of dancing with God uh, He's such a fool in this painting, in a way that you don't see in the, older, in the older works of art. And I particularly like these sketches that I found by a lady called Rebecca Brogan. So it's of King David, the half-naked king, dancing and stomping with joy, raising his hands up. How cool is that? You know, and, and just jumping like it's, it's a beautiful image of what it looks like to be full of the joy of the Spirit. It's cool, isn't it? All right. So in terms of the story, 2 Samuel, okay, it's a, it's a book from the Older Testament. It's a history book. So it's a book about, uh, it's a book about uh, the, the history of the kings uh, and prophets of Israel. And it's, it's recorded in a time of history where there was a kingdom and Israel was becoming a great kingdom under a new king called David. And David was seen as one of the great kings of Israel's history who loved God and, and, and you know, led Israel to be a new people. Uh, it was written a thousand years before Jesus came. So it was a time of ancient history where there was tribal warfare and a whole lot of different stuff than we have today. Uh, there were Philistines and Jebusites and Moazites and all the tribes were, trustling, were tussling for power. And, and yet, uh, in, in this mix of different tribal warfare, God had made a covenant promise with Israel to be their God and for them to be their people. He had promised that he would bless the nation of Israel and make them into a great nation, and he promised that through them, the entire world and all other nations would be blessed, which is what we're seeing in, the, in this story. And, uh, and then God sent his spirit, his presence, his ruach to live specifically with the people he had made a covenant with. Uh, in what most uh, texts call the Ark of the Covenant, in, in the book, in the scripture we read, it's, it's a holy box, which I really like, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant, you know, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was a gold ornate box, and, and within it, the people of God believed that the Ruach, or the presence of God, dwelled and lived in this holy box. And in this box were, were the tablets uh, that Moses had with the Ten Commandments, and it's where God's presence dwelt. And, and what we see from the story is that um, God is both close and distant. Okay? God is, uh, we are drawn to God's presence and his blessing, which we see in this, in this story, but we're also repelled and, and in awe and even fear of his holiness, his otherness. So, so God is powerful and, and we wonder but he's also holy and we fear. And this is, this is the picture of, of God that we read throughout the Older Testament. And then at the same time, uh, people uh, are seen in a different way. When people come face to face to God, we are so distant 
and so far to God's holiness that we actually die if we touch the holy box. What we see is that people are broken and that they are sinful and they are distant from God. Uh, They actually need blood sacrifice in order to be clean and to be close to God and relate. It's, it's, It's an interesting image of God and it's really important. So we read that Uzzah reached out and touched the ark and because of God's holiness and because of our brokenness, he actually was struck dead. Uh, It's a confronting image. It is not uh, a clean image uh, that we like to read. And yet at the same time, it's important. And we'll talk about how Jesus changes the image of God, but actually he fulfills who God is. Because God doesn't change. Uh, Jesus changed our relationship with God. So in the story, David, uh, he leaves the ark uh, in a person's home, uh, a man called Obed-Edom, and uh, he was a Gittite. And three, I reckon this sounds like a, yeah, anyway, you're a Gittite. Um, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and three months later, I should stick to my script, three months later, uh, his house is blessed. Okay, his house is blessed because God has made a covenant, and God's presence in this, in this box, so the Gittite gets blessed, all right? And after that, David comes back, and he captures Jerusalem, he takes this holy box, and he takes it into this new city of David, the, 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 um, the city that becomes the capital of Israel, And there is great joy. David dances. He celebrates as God's presence enters the new city of Jerusalem. And he's overwhelmed by love. So let's let's read this story. Just parts of it. Uh, So David danced in front of the Lord with all of his might. He did it while he was bringing up the ark of the Lord. The whole community of Israel helped him bring it up. They shouted. They blew trumpets. Uh, In the message, we read that David ceremonially dressed in priest linen dancing with great abandon, I like that, before God. And the whole country was with him, and he accompanied the chest of God with shouts and trumpet blasts. And I think it's a beautiful image of joy and of celebration in the presence of God. Now, David's a king. He's a great warrior. He's a man of God. He's meant to be a military leader, a man of might and strength. And yet, kind of, you know, that scene we saw, the picture we saw before, he's just dancing. He's dancing with reckless abandon, and it's, it's just a beautiful, strange image, which is why it's captured our imagination through history. But, but while David was dancing, some danced, but at the same time there were other people who were offended. And this is the second part of the story. We read this in 2 Samuel 6.16. We read about Michal. So, um, the ark of the Lord was brought into the city of David. Saul's daughter, Michal, was watching from a window. She saw King David leaping and dancing in front of the Lord, and it made her hate him in her heart. Now, Michal, for context, was the oldest daughter of King Saul, who was David's predecessor, uh, the first king of Israel. He ended up being quite a disturbed and nasty, uh, maybe a bit psychopathic king. And, uh, and he tried to kill David on many, many times. Uh, and, um, and so Michal had a complicated relationship with David to start with. Uh, she was young and she adored David and she actually helped rescue him from her dad who wanted to kill David. But then later on, she was married off to another man in order to secure Saul's power. But then David, when he became king, basically took her back as his own wife. Uh, so we shouldn't be too harsh on Michal, because like many women in ancient times, she had a very hard, unfair, um, brutal life. 
Okay, so my, my aim isn't to be hard on Mikhail, but there is something important about this, this story and her bitterness in contrast with David's joy and love. Because in this instance, uh, Mikhail judges with worldly eyes, and yet David, uh, and she doesn't recognize, she doesn't recognize the beauty of, of David's act of worship and his abandonment in dancing. So David, in God's presence, delighted in God's love and it overwhelmed him. But Mikhail was looking with worldly eyes and all she saw was a fool who was half naked and, and uh, being ridiculous in front of the crowds. So let's have a quick read of this last bit of the story. Uh, David said to Mikhail, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. Woo! And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, uh, I will be held in honor. Again in the message, I like this. Uh, David replied to Michal, In God's presence I'll dance all I want. She should interpret it. I'm from South Australia. Uh, so I'll dance. I'll dance. Anyway, I'll dance all I want. Uh, oh, yes, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. I'll look like a fool before God. But among these maids you're so worried about, I'll be honored in the end. So the story is that David has been through hell and back with King Saul. Uh, he has lived in caves. He has starved. He's lost loved ones. Uh, for many, many years, he was promised to be the king, and yet uh, he acted in honorable, loving ways, and he was persecuted by Saul. And he refused to take the kingdom in his own strength. He refused to kill Saul when he had the opportunity. Uh, and so David trusted in God, and eventually God provided. And, and so David has good reason to rejoice, because he waited and God delivered him. That's what we kind of see here. And um, in that moment, um, he didn't worry about his his life. He didn't worry about how others perceived him. All he was focused on was his relationship with the Father. Really, he was just focused on the fire of God and everything else kind of fell away. And I think it's just a beautiful image of a person in love with Yahweh, with the God who created him. Uh, and, and I love that he was overcome by love and gratitude in a way that made him undignified and foolish and childlife, childlike, and all he did was dance. So look, I don't think David's response is meant to be um, harsh. I actually think it's just that he was so overwhelmed by love and celebration and joy that, that he couldn't connect with what Mikhail was saying. His love was infectious, uh, and it was leading his nation to worship God. But the thing about the thing about dancing with such recklessness, the thing about being so un undignified in our faith for Jesus, in our context, is that uh, on the one hand it's beautiful, on the other hand it's confronting. It's really conf it's confronting to have a king half naked dancing around and singing and making a fool of himself. Like it is actually quite confronting from the eyes and perspective of the world. Uh, so for some of us. Um, grace is confronting. God's love is confronting. He flips everything upside down. And so what might make some of us dance with joy makes others judge and distance themselves from God. And I think that's the paradigm we see here. 
the word that the scriptures use, or that the theologians use, is that we have numinous experiences with God. Uh, and the best analogy is Moses and the fire. Moses was drawn to the fire because he was drawn to the presence of God, and yet he was repelled and fearful because he was not holy. And that is actually our relationship with the Lord. He is big, he's awesome, and he is fearsome. And yet he's kind, he's a father, and he draws us near. And we would not want God any other way. Um, And that's the image of God. So let's have silence for a moment and pause. Uh, Do you love God with reckless abandon? Do you hunger for his spirit? And do you know the joy of the Lord like David? Just have a moment and reflect. I've been thinking about the story of David and I've been thinking about the dream and wondering how they connect. You know, how does the idea of us drawing near the fire of God connect with a king who abandons himself in the presence of God and just delights in Jesus, well, delights in God? Uh, and, and what I've come up with is that we may th- sometimes we, we think we know God, but there is always more of God than we think is available to us. You know, we, we sometimes, we might be looking at these embers and thinking, wow, there, we're close to the embers of God. You look at embers, they're beautiful, actually. They're, they're beautiful just to sit around embers and see the different colours like we can see in this picture. Uh, and you can be drawn to them, but uh, there's quite a different experience when you are in a bonfire that is raging <laughs> and you have to stand back because of the fire and the warmth of that flame. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we, uh, we can experience less than is available to us and we can expect less. Uh, and I think that's my encouragement, that if we look at David, there is more. I've been reading the biography of Count Zinzendorf, uh, who was the founder of the Moravians. I know I said it right, Zinzendorf. He wasn't a Gittite. Um, and uh, it's in the 1700s, okay? And uh, it's an, a story of an amazing band of missionaries. I mean, the Zinzendorf and the Moravians just sent missionaries all around the globe. It's quite amazing, okay? And, and they prayed for 24 hours. They, they prayed 24 hours a day, every day for 100 years. How's that? Like, that's amazing. And stuff just happened, right? They were on fire for God. And they, well, it's still happening. But they might have, they might have um, I think they missed a day, so that's the end of their 100 years. Yeah, such a bummer. You have to do another 100 years to keep going. All right, so um, he said this. Count Zinzendorf said this. A renewal is not possible when a congregation perceives itself alive but is actually dead. And again, I'm not saying that we're dead, okay, but I think we could be more alive and, uh, and the risk is that we judge our aliveness by what we know and what we have currently experienced rather than what is actually available for us. We might judge our aliveness by the, the coals that we have now and we don't realise that there is a massive bonfire to be had. Uh, we can look with David eyes or we can look with McCall eyes. Um, we can expect more. 
we can look to the flame of God uh, and hunger for wood um, and not each other. And, and I believe that God will deliver something new and fresh. And that, that's the sense I have as well. So the Moravians, just for interest, um, they, they experienced what they call a second Pentecost on the 13th of August, 1727. It's very specific, okay? On a particular day, and they call it that glorious summer. And an and experience of the Holy Spirit totally transformed and tr- transformed that, that community, and it led to a wave of emotion uh, that spread over the community. We don't like emotion, but gee, David was emotional in the presence of God, wasn't he? Woo! Um, there was purging with fire that led to deep repentance and constant worship, profuse weeping, loud singing, missional fruitfulness. Uh, that experience was emotional, it was full on. And it led to them sending out missionaries for over 100 years to so many places on earth. It led to 24-hour prayer and it led to a complete transformation of that group of people transforming people around the world because of that glorious summer. And after the glorious summer, Moravians sent people often to their death. The type of fire that hit these people was the type of fire that allowed them to sell themselves en masse into slavery. They sold themselves to become slaves and go to the Caribbean so they could share the gospel with slaves, and then they died. And then they sent more slaves and more slaves and more slaves until the Caribbean was transformed. They sent people to uh, the Nordic countries to be butchered by Eskimos, and then they sent more people back and more people back until people heard the gospel and found the love of Jesus and experienced Pentecost for themselves. Like, and you hear this story in America, you see that they went through Europe. Like The stories are amazing from this group of people. It all began because they experienced the fire of God in a new way that, that was bigger than their expectation. Uh, and, and he says this, Count, Count Zinzendorf, I knew I'd have to write that down, said this about the second Pentecost. We had already been one body as a religious community, but now we were bonding our hearts in one spirit and, here's the word, warmth. I love it. We had already been one body, but now we were bonding our hearts in one spirit and warmth. When the Spirit of God comes upon a community in a full-on way, uh, it leads to community, it leads to mission, it leads to love and transformation, it leads to prayer and worship. And, and my prayer is that we will know more. You know, the, the 13th of August fueled their mission for 100 years. And when I think about our reference point for knowing the presence of God, is it that glorious summer? Is it Acts 2? Is it David dancing by the, the holy box? Or is it what we have? So I'm not saying we have no God, but gee, there's more. And I reckon we can hunger for more and we can expect more. And that's the sense I have about Alice's dream for us, that God is saying, there is more. And let's not lower our reference. Uh, let's, let's expect what God has for us as a little community who are seeking to love him in hope up. Okay, how good is this? Beautiful picture. This is my daughter who's not here, so I can embarrass her as much as I want. <laughs> She's downstairs looking after the younger kids. But... um. Yeah, this is my daughter, Naomi, and I love, I love the image of dancing to represent the presence of God. Uh, this is her dancing spontaneously on a boat uh, in the Gordon Franklin River. She's really nice. She just decided to dance, and why wouldn't you, around nature? Uh, one of my fondest memories of Naomi, actually, is when she was a lot younger than this, 
a lot, lot, lot younger than now. And we went and watched, I think, her first movie at the cinema, some Disney movie or something. And uh, afterwards, you know, there's music and it's dark. So she just raced down to the front of the stage and started to dance and do cartwheels. And I'm like, oh. And then, like, but it was beautiful. I just watched her. And other people were watching uh, and weren't necessarily leaving as this little girl danced around at the front of the cinema. And then she's like, she runs up and she grabs me. She says, come on, Dad, let's dance. And I'm like... Oh, that's very un-Australian. Um, <laughs> but I have a sweet spot for my daughter, so I went down and I kind of, you know, did an awkward un-Australian dance, and she danced around me, and then we danced more, and I just thought, oh, stuff it. So we just danced together at the front of the stage, and it was beautiful. I'm so glad we did it, you know. And, and uh, it wasn't because of the Spirit of God, but there's something about dancing and letting yourself go which, which reminds me of the kingdom of heaven and the images that Jesus gives, actually, of weddings and parties and banquets, which reminds us of what heaven on earth is meant to be like. Uh, so here's another image of dancing as a community. And this was uh, nearly two years ago, Alice and Chris's wedding. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Amy when she had le- uh, more hair, or she had less hair here and less of a baby bump, uh, but uh, could dance nonetheless. And um, look, weddings are typically joy-filled experiences. Anyway, there is dancing, there is music, but... Uh, this was a particularly beautiful moment in my, uh, for our community. It was, it was the day before we launched as a new community, as Together Church. And, and what was beautiful, I think, is that just people danced with joy and it was like the Spirit of God was amongst us. It felt like the kingdom of God as we laughed and sang and, and danced with abandon. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, when, I, when I think about it, I remember stopping and looking and, and the, whole floor, you know, the dance floor was going off uh, but almost everyone were Christians. There was a whole lot of other people sitting in seats. But most people were followers of Jesus, which I just think is beautiful. Like I think when we follow Jesus and when we're apprentices, we should dance. You know, these are the little kids started dancing, which is good. Um, and the big kids, there's my wife, uh, dancing in the background. Um, and look, we had friends and it was just a really nice experience. It just reminds me that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, um, yeah, so good. <laughs> So, oh yes, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I will gladly look like a fool. Said by the man who loved God with his whole heart, uh, a crazy king who didn't mind being a fool in front of the ark of God. And I think that's the image of what it looks like to be a church on fire. And I'd love us to dance a little bit more regularly. I'd love us to, to break out in spontaneous praise and worship. And, and let's expect more. It'll be uncomfortable for some. Uh, and yet, it's, if it's because of God's presence and his spirit, then let's just go with whatever he calls us to do. So look, a bit more spontaneous singing would be fun. Uh, a bit more frivolity and silliness, silliness would be awesome. Uh, a bit more partying and celebration. Basically, I'd like more of the power and presence of God. Uh, and uh, and let's, let's ask for his presence and expect the craziness that comes from it uh, as a community. Just pause for a minute, and then I just want to share one small last point, and we'll head to communion. What is God saying to you? Do you dance?
So look, my last point is just a quick message about joy, which comes from dancing, which comes from the Spirit of God. Uh, the word joy, joyous, joyful, it's used over 160 times in just the New Testament alone. It's a very important theme that, that knowing Jesus brings us joy. Joy is not happiness. We worship happiness in the West. I would say, uh, next to freedom, it's our biggest idol. But joy is not happiness. It's a deep-down confidence in the goodness of God in spite of our circumstances. It can feel like happiness, but it's deeper than that because it, it isn't dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on the goodness of God and our relationship with Him. Uh, joy is to focus more on God's love than our worries. When we feel worried, it's to turn our worries to prayers, to, to receive joy from Him. Uh, it's to delight in God's ability to draw close to us in all situations. You know, joy is seen when little children fall at Jesus' feet and start laughing. You know, joy is seen uh, in the woman at the well who, who rushes to tell everyone about the man who said something into her life and loved her even though he knew who she was. You know, joy is the demon-possessed man who was delivered from his insanity. Uh, he was, joy, joy is Zacchaeus climbing a tree uh, in order to meet Jesus and then recklessly uh, giving away his wealth in order to make amends when he came to know who Jesus really was. So we don't serve Jesus as an obligation. We actually serve out of an expression of love and joy because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, that's the motivation that should fuel us. It doesn't mean serving is not hard, but there is a joy and a lightheartedness that comes as we serve in the power and the presence of God. I was talking to Mick, and uh, I think it was prayer last Thursday, and he said, Ah, oh, I've never forgotten uh, a sermon. I hope someone says that to me one day. Um, I've never forgotten a sermon, for, for the right reasons as well. Um, I've never forgotten a ser sermon uh, by, by a, a preacher from the Kingston Reformed Church you know, when I was a child. Ten years ago? Yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah plus a few. Um, and, uh, and look, it'll sound cheesy coming from me, but here it goes. Uh, J, J is for Jesus, Y is for you, and... O means that there is nothing in between. That's a bit cheesy, but it's beautiful. It's actually really, really nice. Like if you want a good definition, a preacher's definition of joy, that's it. Okay, J is for Jesus, Y is for you, and, and O means that there is nothing in between. Uh, and there's nothing in between because Jesus died and rose again, and, and joy, the connection between joy and us is God. It's really true. Uh, joy is not a feeling, it's a confidence in Jesus. It's trusting in Him in spite of our circumstances, it, and it's reconnecting with Him through His Holy Spirit. Our joy is about crying out to God for more wood and for more flame, uh, not being content to look, for, to, to look for warmth in one another, but to look to God and allow His Spirit to actually fill us and His grace to transform us. I'm not saying, actually, that community is important. You know how much I value community, but there's a, there's a link between loving God and being filled with the joy of the Spirit that leads to community, but it doesn't always work. And, and, if, and the community fuels the love of God. We see that in history again and again. 
Um, but the fire is Jesus and his spirit transforming us, not ourselves. So my prayer is that we will experience more of the joy of the Holy Spirit by being close to Jesus, that we will delight and wait in him, and that we will be even more undignified than we are now. How does that sound? Yay! All right. But please keep your clothes on. All right. Um, Let's have a reflective moment before we have communion. Uh, God is amongst us. Uh, We want him to pour out his spirit. (laughs) Ah, I should have stuck to my notes. What does God have to say to us? The image of David dancing, the image of of Naomi dancing, the image of, um, of Jesus being our joy and there being nothing between God and ourselves. Just pause and we'll head to communion. As we take communion, I just want us to remember the difference between... uh, We'll return to the last part of the story and I want us to just recognise the difference between David's time and our time. Because uh, there is a difference in the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. There's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So in David's time, people stood at a distance from God because God was distant from us. If you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you died. Okay, And and it reminds us uh, that blood sacrifice was needed to be close to God, that there was a separation between humanity and God's presence, that there was a brokenness that we couldn't fix. That's what we see in this story. Uh, and, and we hear about the fear and the wrath of God as a result. God is other. He's awesome, but he's fearful. He's distant, but he's holy. Uh, and, and we needed to protect ourselves from God using a box. Uh, it's kind of sad, but that's the, that represents the brokenness of humanity. And, and it's actually really true. God hasn't changed, but Jesus changed everything. Because Jesus came to break the bondages between us and God. He came to fill the gap. He came to heal the distance through his own blood. And that's why we celebrate. That's what communion is about. Uh, and, and the thing is, David danced. I love this image. We love the image of dancing. But David danced because Jesus wept. That's why we celebrate communion. And that's why we become apprentices of Jesus. Um, God became flesh and he lived amongst us. Uh, And he became a person who we know as Jesus. He took our sin and our shame and our brokenness on himself. He allowed himself to be killed on a cross so that we could be free and, and so that we could dance with abandonment. <laughs> I love this, these are connected, you know. We dance because Jesus wept and we weep with Jesus that, and it allows us to dance.